Amen. Now we're continuing our series called Extraordinary Lives. And we're looking at Bible characters and, and ordinary people that God blessed, changed, transformed, and used in extraordinary ways. Now this morning we're going to be talking about and looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul is credited for writing for a great majority of our New Testament. You know, he was a missionary. He was, uh, he had three missionary journeys. He went from place to place, planting churches, went back to encourage the church. And so if you read the letters of the New Testament, it's mainly letters like uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and so on. He's writing a letter to the church that was established as he's encouraged the church. The Apostle Paul was an extraordinary man. And so we're going to begin this morning by just talk a little bit about him. He was a first century Jew whose Hebrew name was Saul. We know know him as Paul, but before his life was changed, his name was Saul. He was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. He was born in the city of Tarsus, which is the modern-day Turkey. He was a tent maker by night. He was a missionary by day. He enjoyed the Roman citizenship, but moved to Jerusalem to complete his education. The Apostle Paul was a very educated man. He was no dummy, amen? In fact, the Bible tells us that he had been taught by the the renowned teacher Gamaliel, who was a doctor of the law. In in Acts chapter 2, 22, verse 3, it says, Paul said of himself, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicily. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under, under Gamaliel. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. Now, now this student or this teacher, Gamaliel, was a, a very renowned and respected religious leader. Because, uh, because of his religious training, the apostle Paul, uh, he was, he became a Pharisee. And, and we know Pharisees. We know Jesus addressed Pharisees in the gospel, and it was normally not in a good light. The Pharisees were a religious sect, and, uh, and they were strictly, they had a strict uh, conviction to withholding the religious Jewish laws, as well as to human tradition. And the Pharisees elevated the Jewish law above human tradition, above grace, or the gospel of grace. And so what happened was, they taught a message that was contrary to the message of Christianity. And so because of that, there was a, a faction, there was a, an antagonism against the religious leaders and the Christians. So the religious leaders had a different message than the Christians, and these Religious leaders uh, developed a disdain and antagonism and hostility towards the Christians. So if you read the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, you will see the New Testament church come into existence and you will see great, great hostility from the religious leaders against the church. And they began to attack and persecute and even murder Christians for preaching the gospel of grace. But, you know, it seemed that the more they attacked the gospel of grace, the more they attacked Christians in the Christian church, the more the church continued to expand and explode in power and in influence. Amen. And so uh, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, it says the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in that area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But on, but no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were healed. 
healed. The high priests and his officials were, who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Why were they filled with jealousy? Because the church was thriving. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So you could see the, high, the hostility that developed between the religious establishment and the Christian community. And because Paul was a Pharisee and part of this religious community, he too became an enemy and a persecutor and a prosecutor and, and, a, and developed this great hatred and violence towards the church. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul became an enemy and persecutor of the church. In Philippians 3, giving his own testimony, he says this in verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there was one, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, here we see Paul's, by his own admission, prior to his conversion, he says, I harshly persecuted the church. Paul hated Christianity, and he did all he could to do away with and silence the church. The first picture of Paul that we see in the scripture is not a picture of a great man of God, but rather a picture of somebody who is a violent religious terrorist hunting down Christians. He was a Christian headhunter. Do you remember whenever Stephen was getting martyred for proclaiming the gospel and saying, hey, you the guys that, that crucified Jesus and he boldly proclaimed the gospel of grace. They were, they, he got stoned for that. And you remember there was a man standing there with those stoners that held their Coats. In Acts chapter 7, in verse 54, it says this, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor in God's right hand. You know, I heard somebody say about this. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But here he's standing as Stephen's getting stoned for proclaiming and standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 57, and when they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting and they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began, and they began to, uh, to, to stone him. Now, the purpose of reading all these scriptures is this. So we can fully grasp the power of the transformation that took place in Paul's life. Although the Apostle Paul was so hardened towards uh, Christ and Christianity, his entire life changed in an instant. Paul was there holding the coats of those that were stoning him. But he had a dramatic experience. The Apostle Paul is a great example of the life-transforming power of the gospel. Amen? Although he was a Christian headhunter, he had a dramatic experience. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 1, this is Paul's conversion. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any follower of the way he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on, the, on, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now imagine... 
just walking along and all of a sudden this light shines down on you and it's so impacting that it knocks you to the ground. That's pretty impressive. You think that got Paul's attention? And so Paul says in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? That's a good question. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So not only does he get struck down by this light, he's now blind. Saul picked himself up off the ground. He opened his eyes. He was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So Paul gets blinded by this light from heaven. And then he, and he, he gets knocked to the ground and he hears this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul obviously had an idea who was speaking to him because he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And then in verse five, he says, the voice replied, I am Jesus. The one you're persecuting. And then he says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So God gets his attention and instructs him in, on the next step to take. And so God gets his attention, speaks to him. Meanwhile, he's on his way to the city. There's this man in the city called Ananias. And he's praying and seeking the Lord. And the Lord visits him while he's praying. And the Lord tells him, hey, I want you to go to the street called Straight. And whenever you get there, you'll see a man there in the house of Judas praying. And whenever he's praying, I want you to go lay hands on him and minister to him. So with much reluctance, Ananias went in obedience to God's word. Now, the apostle Paul, while he's seeking the Lord, he gets a vision that a man's coming. While Ananias is praying, God speaks to him and shows him Paul and says, you're going to go pray for that guy and he's going to get healed. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. Now notice. This guy who was Chris, who was a Christian headhunter, he's now praying. Verse 12, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So here God speaks to Ananias. God speaks to Paul and he's making this transformation happen. In verse 13, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things the man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So obviously you could see the reluctance in Ananias. Have you ever been reluctant to do something God tells you to do? Imagine him telling you, somebody that you know is wanting to kill Christians. And God tells you, I want you to go witness to him. And you say, well, I'm going to leave a track in his mailbox. I'm not going to knock on his door. Are you crazy? You can see the reluctance in Ananias. But I... I he said, I heard about this guy. He's a violent Christian. Head on. I'm not going to talk to him. But verse 15, but the Lord said, go. I like, you know, the fact that the Lord didn't say, well, let's talk about it. He just said, what did he say? 
For Saul is my chosen instrument. Take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to people of Israel. And I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. Now notice what God tells Ananias about Paul. I have chosen him. He's a special instrument of mine. Listen, nobody else might be able to see it. But God has a special purpose for each of us, regardless of what others might think. Amen. And he looks at Saul, who's persecuting him and his church. And he says, that's going to be my man right there. In verse 17, so Ananias went, found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you in the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Now, I want you to notice, at Ananias' obedience, God moved. God showed up. And this guy, who was a violent Christian terrorist, God touches him. And God changes him because Ananias was willing to just do what God told him to do. There's a message here. Don't question what God tells you to do. Don't try to reason with him and tell him a million reasons why you shouldn't do what he tells you to do. Just get up and go do it and expect the power of God to come whenever you do. Amen. Now, I want you to notice how instantaneous the change was in Paul's life. Verse 18. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. Did you notice that? This remarkable story of an instantaneous transforming power of God being released in mercy and grace. The Bible says instantly, something like scales fell off his eyes. Now, what is that? What is these scales that fell off his eyes? Apparently, there was something blinding him spiritually. There was something keeping him from seeing what he needed to see. Something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see. Now, I know he was blind physically, but we know from the story that not only did he have he have physical blindness, he had spiritual blindness. And when the scales fall off his eyes and he could see physically, he also was able to see spiritually. Do you know there's a spiritual blindness that can be over our eyes, just like the Apostle Paul? And the Bible says he immediately got up and he was baptized immediately. Saul, who became Paul, began walking in obedience to God, totally contrary to the person he was before. Saul, a persecutor of God's church, became the mighty man of God, the pillar of God's church. Amen. That's the power of God's transforming grace. I want you to notice the magnitude of his transformation. Not only does he become a Christian. But, you know, we find out that he becomes more than a Christian. Look in Acts 9, verse 19. Very next verse, Paul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. How, how quickly? Immediately. He is indeed the son of God, he said. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? 
Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. Then the Jews and the masses couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Man, that's a great story right there. In less than a week, Paul went from being a Christian hating murderer to a powerful, passionate preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you, if you ever wanted to see the power of God's grace, take a look at the Apostle Paul and you will see the power of God's grace. Amen. Now, how does Paul's story relate to our lives? That's a great story in the Bible. But how does that relate to you and I today? What is God trying to tell us through this story? Is there any lessons here for us to take with us as we leave today and we go live our lives and do what we've called to do? I believe there is. And I want to make three points about Paul's story and how I believe it relates to your life and to my life. Point number one, Paul's story reminds us that apart from Christ, there is no limit to the depravity of man. There is no limit. Listen, before we get too hard on Paul, Let's take a look on the inside of us for a moment. Have you ever taken the time to, to, to just um, pay attention to the thoughts you might have, the motives you might have, the things that cross your mind and your heart at times? Wouldn't you be very embarrassed if there was a big screen that showed all your thoughts and all your thinking patterns? You know, you laugh and there's evidence that we all have this problem, regardless of how well we may look on the outside today. We all have the internal issues on the inside. Isn't that right? So we need to be reminded of that. In Psalm 51, 5, David, who is greatly used of God, said this, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. What is David saying? David is revealing everyone's reality. And the reality is this, that we've all been contaminated by sin. You know, you might hear somebody say, you know, inherently we're all good. That if we're in a good enough environment, we're going to be a holy person that comes out. Well, according to the gospel, we've all been tainted. We've all been tainted with sin. And David reveals that reality that we've all been contaminated by a sinful spirit. The truth of the matter is we're all sinful by nature. We're all sinful by by nature, by birth and by choice. Amen. Listen what Job said. Job 14.4 says we or rather who can bring purity out of an impure person. And the answer is no one, no one. We all remain totally and completely depraved deep within and are in desperate need of the grace of God. Would you all agree with that? We need the grace of God. Listen, this is a great moment in your life when you come to the realization that you might be an intelligent human being. You might have a good will about you in your heart of hearts, but in you is that, is the, is the, the, the sin nature that if left to, to, uh, to, uh, be nurtured and to follow through with, you would become somebody that you would be surprised at yourself. Amen. So here's what I'm saying. Before we stand and judge other people, before we stand and be critical of others, before we're too harsh, which, because others are not as spiritual as we are, 
or maybe don't have the same convictions as we are. Let's let Paul's story remind us that there's no limitation to my own depravity. There's no limitation to your own depravity outside of the keeping grace of God. Amen. Amen. Listen, if there's any good in us, it's God. Amen. If there's any good in you, then you need to look up and say, God's been good to me. God's grace is upon me. Don't for a moment take credit for it. Give glory and honor to God. Amen. Come on, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Now, here's the next point. A second point I want to make about Paul's story is this. Paul's story reminds us that no one is beyond hope. (laughs) Thank God. I heard somebody say, thank God for that. There's at least one person that realizes, thank God, there's hope. Amen. Come on. How many of you can relate to that? Listen, regardless of, listen, regardless of what you've done or what you're doing or how shady your past has been, no one is beyond hope. Paul's story reminds us of that. There's no amount or depth of sin of your past or your present that is beyond the transforming Grace of God. That's a powerful message. Listen, you know, occasionally I talk to somebody and try to witness to them. And occasionally somebody will tell me, Todd, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know the things that I have done. I have done so many horrible things. You don't know the people I've hurt. You know, you don't know the things that I've participated in. There's no way. That God could forgive me or love me. You know, my response to that is I say, well, have you ever been a Christian headhunter? Have you ever been so antagonistic against Christ that you just go try to hurt Christians? And even if you have the chance to imprison them and kill them, I haven't yet heard one person say, Yes, I've been just like that. I've never heard anybody say that they have got to that limit in their life. And I tell them, well, listen, if God's grace could forgive a Christian headhunter, then I believe God's grace can forgive you. Receive it. Amen. Experience the grace of God in your life. Amen. This is a powerful story. So the point is, if the Apostle Paul can be forgiven, regardless of what you've done or what you're doing, There's hope for you. Amen. The good news today, God is a God of mercy that extends grace and forgiveness to all who are willing to ask for it and receive it. That's the gospel message. So God's grace is sufficient for us. And you don't have to live as a hopeless individual. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, Paul said, and now I am bound by spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what waits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work against uh, our work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And here's the work. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Come on, some of you, you know, you were raised in a Christian home and you've been you've been a goody two shoe all your life. But you know what? Not me. Not me. I wasn't a goody two-shoe all my life. And bless God, I am so appreciative of the grace of God. 
Come on, any other, any other witnesses in here? You're, you're grateful for the grace of God. Amen. Praise God. Paul spent the rest of his life telling others the wonderful grace of God. Well, the question is, why? How did he know about the wonderful grace of God? Because he experienced it. How could God forgive him? How could God accept him? When, when he worked hard, when he was so passionate, so zealous at trying to destroy the church, destroy Christians, keep it from moving forward. How could he be so merciful? The apostle Paul experienced the grace of God in his heart. He knew he was forgiven. He experienced God's love and he was so moved by it that he had to live the rest of his life telling others about it. Amen. And here we are today talking about Paul and our lives are being encouraged as a result of his life. The third point I want to make from Paul's story is this. Paul's story reminds us that anybody can experience a new beginning. Anybody. Somebody needs to hear this message. It's never too late to start over. It's never too late to have a new beginning. You know, listen, sometimes we go through things and we think, you know what? I've just, I've just messed up too bad. I mean, for too long, I've made the wrong choices. And it's, I mean, it's done for me. I mean, I've totally ruined my life. I've totally wrecked my life. And there's no hope. I, I've, ex, I've exhausted the, the grace of God. And, and so listen, I want to encourage you today. I'm thinking about the person who has gone through an ugly divorce after years of marriage and, and feels like all this investment into this relationship and this marriage. And without my control, it's ended in a minute. And you might be sitting here today thinking, there's no recouping from this. And I'm here to tell you, there is. There is. You might be sitting here today, you know, a person who makes, thinking, you know, a person who made so many bad choices. And, you know, my situation is because of my own choices. And there's no hope of it getting turned around. And I'm here to tell you there is. I'm here to tell you that there's life after being physically abused, sexually abused. There's life after spending years in prison because of a, a wrong decision. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter how many bad things have happened to you, how many bad stories you have to tell. There's always hope of a new beginning. There's always hope that things can turn around. I'm here to tell you that the transforming power of God's grace can take you and change your life. Listen, when Paul knelt down before the living God and finally faced his sin and repented and turned to Christ, Christ transformed his life. Listen to what Paul wrote in one of his letters to the Corinthians. He said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 We read this last week. Anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You know, I believe even in the church, sometimes we underestimate the transforming power of the grace of God. I think we we fail to recognize it. But listen, sitting in this room today is testimony after testimony of the transforming power Of the grace of God. Paul said. God's grace is sufficient. Because he knew. God's grace was sufficient. Amen. 
Could it be that someone in here today is stuck? They're stuck spiritually. They're stuck in their circumstances. They're in a place of hopelessness. They're in a place of helplessness. I'm thinking that my circumstance can't change. Listen, you don't have to stay stuck. The gospel is good news. You don't have to live in the shadows of the shame. You don't have to live in the, in the repercussions of something that wasn't even your choice that somebody else did to you. You don't have to stay stuck. You can get unstuck today. You don't have to live by your past or your present. You can have a bright future. And that's the message of the gospel. So be encouraged today. Get up. Get up in your spirit. Get up in your faith. Get up in your heart. Come on. Get up off of the mat. Stand up, man of God. Stand up, woman of God. Rise up in the power and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. Let's go. Let's serve God. Let's live the life that God has for you. Listen to the realization the Apostle Paul came to in Romans 7, 21. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Paul's story is a great story. How God can take ordinary and make it extraordinary. He could take on anybody and use them in a mighty way. Amen. That's how Paul's story relates to us. Everybody in this room today should have hope. If you understand the gospel, you should have hope. You should, hopelessness should leave the room. And the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the God that we serve is a God of hope. Amen. Come on. You receive that in your spirit today. Amen. You don't have to live average. You can live above average. You don't have to live in your failure. You can live in success because Jesus paid it all so that you could experience that. Amen. Well, I'm getting happy this morning, just preaching this gospel. Amen. Now, listen, how does one experience the life transforming power of God? You know, if we go back to Paul's conversion, we could see how it happened. First, God attempts to get our attention. That's how it starts. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3. He was approaching Damascus on this mission. And a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The light was God's megaphone. He was trying to get Paul's attention. Before God can change, could change Paul's life, he had to get his attention. He got his attention with a blinding light. God usually tries to get our attention with something that causes us discomfort or pain in our life. Very few people hear God's voice through prosperity. Most people hear God's voice through pain and suffering. And God usually allows pain or suffering or discomfort to get us closer to him so he can change our life and make it better. His motivation to allow us to experience pain and suffering is never motivated by a hatred for us or disdain for us. It's always motivated from Father heart of God that wants our life to be better. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
Psalm 119 and 67, David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Listen, when Paul was testifying to King Agrippa about his conversion experience, this is what he said in verse Acts 26, 14. And when we, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect. In other words, a language I could understand. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The Lord told Paul, Paul, isn't it hard to kick against the goads? Isn't this life you're living not good? You know, a goad was a sharp pointed stick that they used to inflict discomfort to try to get a stubborn animal to move. It's what a goat is for, to get somebody that don't want to move to move. Come on. Now, don't your parents go look for a goat? Amen. So listen, apparently God had been trying to get Paul's attention and he was goading him. But Paul wasn't listening. Instead of allowing the goats to move him closer to the Lord, he was kicking against it. You know, listen, whenever, whenever you go to goat an animal, the last thing the animal needs to do is kick against the goat. Cause you're gonna double the trouble. You're gonna intensify the pain. And so he tells Paul, quit kicking against the very thing I'm trying to get you to me. When an animal kicked against that goat, it caused greater discomfort. The Lord is still using goats today. He's using goads in our life to get our attention. Now, some people say, no, a loving God would never do that. Would you spank your child to keep him off Ambassador Caffrey? If you love him, you would. If you don't love him, you'll let him go get smashed. A loving God will cause us discomfort if the further purpose is to keep us from getting smashed. Come on, do you get this? You understand this? The Lord told Paul, is it hard? Is it hard? Sometimes the goad is the pain of affliction that God's saying, hey, I'm ready to change your life. Don't quit. Don't keep kicking against the things that's causing pain in your life. Let it bring you to me. Sometimes the goad is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, you better quit. You better stop. You better deal with the attitude. You better deal with the root in your life. It's going to come back to bite you. It's going to ruin you. You better deal with it. And the Holy Spirit is like a megaphone. Sing change, change, change. Don't keep going that way. Sometimes the goad is the word of God. And the word of God is like a goad. And it's meant to prod us. Sometimes it's a rebuke or correction from a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a boss. And the rebuke comes across. The worst thing you need to do is, is kick against the rebuke. The worst thing you could do is kick against the very thing God is using to try to get you closer to him. Listen, regardless of the goad God uses in our life, our response needs to be similar to the Apostle Paul. Amen. And this is what he said in verse five. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the Lord cleared it up. I'm Jesus. The one that you've been persecuting. Could the Lord be saying, Lord, why am I going through this trouble? He might be saying, because I'm Jesus, 
the one you won't submit your life to. And I'm trying to get your attention. Paul calls the one he was fighting against Lord. He calls him Lord. Now, some believe that marked the moment of Paul's conversion because it was a title used for respect. It was like he said, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, when you call somebody, sir, it means you respect them. Yes, sir. If you don't respect them, what? But when you, when you develop respect in your life, you say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. There's a level of respect. And so Saul comes from a, from a, an antagonizer to yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's a change of heart. In other words, Paul was not, was prior to that. Some believe that marked the moment of his, of his, of his conversion because he was ready to submit to the voice he was hearing. Now, the second thing God does to position us to experience his transforming powers, God attempts to get us in his will. There's our will and his will. Our will is strong. Our will is, is, is persistent. For some of us is stronger than others. But our will is the enemy of God's will. And God's got to get us out of our will to get us in his will. Amen. And so Acts chapter 9 in verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. The very next verse, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Abandon your mission. Abandon your will and get on my page. Come on. How many of you know you got to get on God's page? You got to abandon your mission and you got to get on his mission. Amen. The Lord's instructions to Paul was to get him in God's will. God wants to get us in his will. Listen, the only purpose of God's goads in our life is simply to get us into his will so he can bless our life. Amen. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 14, it says, we all fell down to her voice saying to be, so also are you persecuting? It is useless. This is the New Living Translation. It is useless for you to fight against my will. You know why sometimes we have trouble? It's because we're fighting against his will. You know why sometimes things don't fall into place in our life? It's because we're fighting against his will. But as soon as we're willing to submit to his will, it's amazing immediately. Things begin to work easier in our life. Things seem, seem to fall in place. Kicking against the goat is really fighting against the will of God. And so listen, when we quit fighting against the will of God and surrender to it, I believe life changes. And the third and final thing God does to position us to experience his transforming power is God attempts, us, attempts to change our heart and our mindset. You know, listen, we can't experience God's transforming power until we have a changed heart and a changed mind, right? And, and he had to change Saul's mind. He had to change his heart. Who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, for Paul to say, Lord, he had to have a change of heart. He wouldn't respect him unless he had a change of heart, a change of mindset. Because Paul was the one that didn't believe 
Jesus was alive, that he was worthy of worship. He didn't believe he was the one that was resurrected. He didn't believe Jesus was all that. But now he's saying, sir. He had a changed mind, a changed heart. So for Paul to accept what Jesus was saying, he had to be willing to basically repent. Repent means to change your mind. It means to change your heart. When you have a change of heart and a change of mind, you turn around. You go a different direction. You abandon mission. And you go after God's mission. Amen? Whenever he said, get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do, he had to have a change of heart to do that. But he had a change of heart, a change of mind. And that's what put him in the city, which is where God's miracle came, which is where his life was transformed which is where he got filled with the power of the Spirit, which is where he was released in his purpose, which is where he made a difference in the world that is still changing people in Lafayette, Louisiana in June of 2014. Amen. Paul's life is a great encouragement to us. Before life transformation can occur, we need to be brought to a place of repentance that we're willing to change our mindsets, change our attitude and our heart, and get them on the right page. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's just have a word of prayer for just a moment. Would you just right there where you are, just make a secret place with the Lord. Just get into your closet for just a moment. If you're here today and say, Todd, I need a conversion. I need a transformation. I need to be saved. I need to be a Christian. I feel like I've been kicking against the goads. God has been trying to get my attention, but I've been fighting against it. But today I'm ready to surrender to his to his will. I'm ready to surrender to his authority. Would you pray for me that today my life changes? If that's you, just raise your hand. Just lift it up. There it is. I see a hand over here. Anywhere else, raise your hand, raise it high. It's not time to be timid or be ashamed or embarrassed right over here. I see your hand. Anybody else, this is the time to just say, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. I need your grace. I need your power. I need your presence. Forget about pride. Forget about embarrassment. Forget about all that for a moment. Let's turn our hearts. Raise your hand and say, Todd, would you pray for me? I want to give. I want to surrender my heart to Jesus. I need a transformation. Those that have your hands raised, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you. Sir, what do you want me to do? I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me just as you are, just as I am. Thank you, Father God. Pastor Kelly, would you just come? Listen, Pastor Kelly is going to be right here. If you need prayer for something beyond just that you prayed, would you come and let one of us pray until Pastor Kelly gets a chance to, to greet those that said, I, I, give, I give up, I surrender to the Lord. Because we got a gift for you, and we want to get you uh, give you some tools to get started on the right track. But listen, hey, for a moment, what about the rest of us that are saved? Could it be? Sometimes that like we're in the we're in the general will of God, but we're not in the specific will of God. And God wants to use us and move in us in a greater way. And He's allow He's He's like the little egrets in the nest. 
And he's taking the downing out of the nest, making things a little uncomfortable for us. Because he's saying, hey, move over a little bit. Change direction a little bit. Come on. I got a greater purpose. I got a greater plan. I want to bring you to another level. I want to change something else in your life. Just allow me to work. Because my motivation is only to bless you and to bless you more. I'm going to be willing to say, Lord, I'm, your servant is listening. <laughs> I'm willing to move. If you, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to change my attitude. I'm willing to change my heart. I'm willing to change my behavior. I'm willing to change whatever it is you want. Because what I want most is you and your will in my life. Because I know that's the best place to live. Amen. Father, I thank you for your grace over each and every one of us today. Lord, help us. Encourage us. Lord, let us be motivated today. Lord, to follow the master transformer, Lord. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.